Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman, and child that calls this church family home to be a part of Connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. How are you guys? Good to see you. Anyone looking forward to blowing something up on Tuesday? Definitely, definitely. That's fantastic. Um, as Jen mentioned, we're, we're continuing going through the, the gospel of Mark. And uh, today we get to, uh, or, or we're in chapter seven, but something changes in this particular uh, passage. Jesus understands his role as the Jewish, Jewish Messiah, that that is his primary audience, but he, he takes a turn in this particular passage and, and he, he goes to the, the non-Jews and he says something that to, to us sounds really ethnocentric, maybe even racist. <laughs> and I'm gonna submit to you, he's actually doing something different than you might initially think by what he's doing. But this, let me show you kind of a picture here of the map. Jesus' hometown is what? Where was he born? <clears throat> Nazareth is like the hometown anyway, right? He's, if you remember, he's, he's, he's been sort of ex, uh, expelled from Nazareth. And so Jesus' home base is a little place called Capernaum. It's right here. It's on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. And if you follow this orange line, this is where he goes in this particular passage, he's going to the, the western coast um, of the Mediterranean and he's going to Tyre and Sidon. Now why that's significant is because Tyre and Sidon, this is the, this is the northwest uh, part of the area. It's, it's outside of Jerusalem. It's outsiders, these are Gentiles. And th th there are three things that happen. He goes there. And there's a woman whose daughter is demon-possessed, and he heals her. And then he comes back down this way, and he goes to the Decapolis, meaning the, the city of the Ten, also a Gentile area. And it's there that he heals a man who's deaf. And then finally, there's the feeding of the 4,000. All three of these things are to outsiders, non-Jews. Next week, we'll talk about the feeding of the 4,000 and the significance of that. But the first thing that he does with this woman kind of colors all the rest. And I would even suggest you has a lot to say to us today about how God understands ethnicity and race and the issues that oftentimes even divide us today. So let me, let me read a passage this is Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 24. And this is the particular section that we're looking at this morning. We read this. From there, he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He entered a house and he didn't want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit a demon, a few week, number of weeks ago, we talked about what are the origin of demons and that sort of thing, had heard that he uh, heard of him 
came, fell down at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile. Here's the setup. Gentile, a Syrophoenician. So she's from the region of Phoenicia. She's Syrian by birth. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, now listen to this. Let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to, here's what all women love to be called, the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Um, What's so interesting, and I'm going to read actually Matthew's version. Matthew always gives a little bit more information than Mark. Like whatever Mark is, Matthew sort of expands on it and gives sometimes even some really helpful details to kind of flush it all up. But what's so fascinating is um, if you you pick up a commentary on this particular passage, whether it be in uh, Mark 7 or Matthew 15, almost every commentary that you read the commentary is, he, he's just sort of like backing off. He's like, ah, you know, Jesus used the diminutive term. He used the term for like a nice little dog. And a, they try so hard to get Jesus out of trouble for calling this woman a dog. There's no getting around it. He calls her a dog. In fact, again, listen to Matthew even more uh, explicit. Matthew 15, 21, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman, an outsider, an unclean person, from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me, my daughter, as demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus, now listen, he, he, he includes something. Jesus ignored her. He didn't even answer. Now, notice this, he ignored her so that something would be provoked in his students, his disciples. When he ignored her, his disciples came to him and urged him, get rid of her, send her away, for she keeps crying after us. So first he ignores her, then, verse 24, he answered, I was sent, here's the key word, only to the lost sheep of Israel, Israelites. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very moment. Now, why is this passage a big deal? Why do commentators work so hard to try to get Jesus off the hook? Well, because he's saying something that seems pretty ethnocentric, right? Pretty racist, it sounds like. And that's not uncommon for this world. In fact, there's a, um, there's a writing, it's called the Book of Sirach, so this is, this is a Jewish writing from like the second century BC. And it's, 
it's, it's what's called apocryphal writing. It's not part of the, of the canon of the Bible, but it's Jewish writing, and it reflects the ideas um, held by people of this day. And in this particular book, Sirach chapter 50, it has the high priest Simon presenting a blessing over Israel, over God's people, and a curse over the nations, the, the dogs. That's kind of what they called the nations. And it says this, two nations my soul detests. The third is not even a people. <laughs> They're not even humans. Those who live in Seir and the Philistines, those are the two, the ones who aren't even a people, and the foolish people that live in Shechem. Shechem is where the Samaritans live. These are the non-Jews. So why is this a problem? Well, here's why it's a problem. If you remember the passage that just came before this, Jesus said this. It's not, remember about the food thing? It's not what goes into a person that makes them unclean. Do you remember what he said? It's what comes out of a person, meaning your words, your thoughts, that makes them unclean. If Jesus is just parroting racist ideas, and he just said it's what comes out of a person that makes you unclean, do you see the problem? <laughs> is, is, is this really our savior, the unblemished lamb of God? the one in whom there is no falsehood? Or is this a problem? This seems to be, doesn't it? It seems to be a problem for what Jesus is saying. So Jesus' response, first he ignores her, which provokes a response of his disciples going, get rid of her. And then he insults her. <laughs> he puts her through the, so here's the question, why? Why does Jesus make this woman go through this almost experience of public humiliation before he heals her daughter? What kind of person would do that? Here's, here's I think, the key to understanding this passage. Um, two things happen in this passage that make the careful reader go, something more is going on here. Um, first of all, Jesus loses the debate. As far as I know, this is the only time in all the Gospels where Jesus loses a debate. Think about that. Jesus debates these sharp, academic, religious leaders. Does he ever lose? No way. He destroys their arguments. But he loses to a Canaanite woman? That's odd. One, one thing that biblical scholars would tell you is anytime you see something that's, that's odd, you should go, oh, that's important. Okay, number one, he loses the debate. <clears throat> and then um, number two, he says something he doesn't believe. What do I mean by that? Well, if you remember in Matthew, it said his response to her is, I have come, remember the key word? Only for the children of Israel, Right? Does he believe that he has come only for them? No. Because other places, all the rest of them just, it's I have come first for the house of Israel, then second for the non-Israelites. So what's going on here? <clears throat> Jesus does something brilliantly. 
he tells a mini parable. Jesus loves parables, right? A parable's a story. You've got a child sitting at a table, eating food, and you've got a dog under the table, okay? Parable. Who's the child in the parable? Who is it? It's, it's Israelites, right? Who's the dog under the table? <laughs> it's Gentiles, particularly this woman right there. And he tells a parable, and here's, here's what he's doing. Um, any, any teachers in the room? Anyone a teacher? Okay, a few. Um, <clears throat> I taught high school for a few years before I came, uh, became a pastor at Timberline. The best teachers I've ever had, here's something they do. It's, it's a rhetorical device. In Latin, it's called reductio ad absurdum. It's, here's, here's the ploy. You take an idea that you don't necessarily believe, and you throw it out there, and you let people shoot at it, and you reduce it to a, to a, to a, um, a level of absurdity, meaning it loses. Does that make sense? You throw an idea out there as though you believe it. You let it get beaten, and then you've taught your students. You with me? What is Jesus doing here? Reductio ad absurdum. He's taking an idea that I guarantee you his followers believed. He puts it in his mouth. He puts it out there, and it gets beaten. By who? The woman. He takes their ideas up against her idea. Their idea loses. He commends her for her faith and teaches his disciples. That's not true. Your ideas are false. Jesus, here's my point. Jesus has a radical, inclusive message. The message of the gospel is the most inclusive message that you will ever come across in your entire life. And it has the power to bring in those who are on the outside in a way that nothing else does in the world. Um, okay, you might say, okay, Jesus isn't a racist. That's good to know. <laughs> but what about the whole first to the Jew and second to the outsider, to the, the dogs? <laughs> Why first there and then to the outsiders? Well, let's go back to when those two groups broke off. Genesis chapter 11, you know, the Tower of Babel, the story of Babel. It's this event where after the flood, God gives a command to humanity. He says, same thing as I said, like on page one, no plan B, spread out, cover the whole earth. You're my imagers. And they go, let's all gather together so we don't spread out, right? Lest we obey God. And then they build a ziggurat, this temple. That's a way to control God, make him come to you. And he goes, okay, if this is really how you want to do it, and so God divorces himself from the nations. He, he disinherits them. And he's not done with them, but he's putting them on the shelf. You don't, you don't want to serve me? Okay, let's see how that works out. And then from those nations, he picks out one old guy, Abram, and one old woman, Sarah. And he says, well, they can't have kids, so they're perfect. 
And he supernaturally creates a new nation through them. And he says, that's my inheritance. And then the whole rest of the story of the Bible is it's God's inheritance versus the nations. Okay, that's sort of the whole, whole rest of the story. Now listen though to early on when God picks out that old guy and the old woman. He says, I'm gonna give them a seed. And that seed is what's going to bring back something really important to the world. Listen to Genesis chapter 12. This is God's words to that old guy, Abram. Chapter 12, verses one through three. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. Now listen to the rest of this, and let me just give you this sort of thing to look for. Um, in English, when you want to emphasize something, like in writing, you italicize it, right? If you're an English teacher, right? Italicize it. In Hebrew, they don't have italics, they have repetition. So tell me what word is important here based on the repetition. I'll make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be what? blessed. What's the italicized word? <laughs> yeah. God's goal in picking this old dude and this old lady who can't have kids is that they're going to be a vehicle. They're seeds anyway, they're descendants, the Israelites. They're going to be a vehicle through what is going to come back to the world blessing. God's blessed, because it's been lost. But God says, I'm going to bring back my blessing to all the nations who I've disinherited, and it's going to be through you. They are a vehicle of blessing to the nations. Israel was to understand their role as ambassadors, representatives of God's blessing to the rest of the nations. Listen, listen to how one of the prophets, Isaiah, when he was correcting the vehicle for not working properly, listen to how he put it. Isaiah chapter 49, verse three. He said to me, you, this is Israel, you're my servant, Israel, in whom I will display, to whom? The nations. I will display my splendor. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, the dogs, that my salvation will get to them, will reach the ends of the earth. Israel's role, its very first role, was to respond by being a light, by displaying God's goodness, his grace. This is why Paul understood his role as he said, I am an apostle. Apostle means a sent one. That's just what the word apostolos means. A sent, I'm a sent one, an apostle to the Gentiles, to the nations. Listen, listen to the very last book of the Bible, Revelation. This, this answer is, here's a, here's a really important question for you. What does God want? What is he ultimately looking for? You ever wonder that? Like, what's, what is God wanting? 
Well, here's, here's it, Revelation 7, 9 through 10. This is what God wants. After this, I looked, and there before me, this is, this is John seeing what God wants at the end of the story. Before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every, listen to the language, every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, that's all babbled vocabulary because that's what happened back there. Standing where? Before God's throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, all the dogs. <laughs> They're not unclean. They're wearing white robes, holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to who? Our God. He's ours. Our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Or I think about Paul's words in his letter to the book of Colossians, Colossians 3.11. He writes this here. What he means is like here, like a part of the church, a part of this community here, there is no Gentile or Jew. This is important. There's no circumcised or uncircumcised. There's no barbarian. There's no Scythian. There's no slave or free. But Christ is all and in all. Or Paul's words to the church in Galatia, Galatians 3.26, he writes this. So in King Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into the king, into Christ, and have clothed yourselves with Christ. And then he kind of is repeating, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in King Jesus. If you belong to the king, you are that seed of that old guy and that old lady. You're that seed of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. Now, you might be thinking, Jew-Gentile thing, like, why are we making such a big deal about that? Because here's the thing, these ideas, which would go against this, continue to resurface in human history. What do I mean by that? Well, we just, we just came out of a period in which there were significant philosophical ideas, and again, they get, they get labeled different things. Something that we've heard a lot about is CRT, critical race theory. And what is that? Sounds confusing. Well, let me try to boil it down as simply as I can. Here's the message. It tells you this. The most important thing about you, the most important thing about your identity, it's your ethnicity. It's the color of your skin. It's your gender. It's your sexuality. It doesn't matter. The most important thing about you is that you belong to a group and do you know how you don't have everything you want? Do you know why you don't have everything you want? Because people in the other group took it away from you. And you should feel really exploited. You should feel like a victim. 
fact, you should have grievance toward them. Do you know in universities, you can actually go to school for grievance studies? Don't waste your money. But I promise, you can go get a four-year degree in grievance studies. And it doesn't matter that, pick the group. It doesn't matter. But you should be grieved by how other people have exploited you. You might think, well, what's, what's this all about? Because the underlying ideas, it's called cultural Marxism. And the ideas of Marxism are the idea that we need to burn the system down. And the only way to burn the system down is you've got to get enough people upset about their grievances so they'll start the fires and burn it all down. That's Marxism. And those are the ideas. <clears throat> it, it rests on lack of unity. That's why this is a gospel issue, you guys. The gospel, that's why I read, there's no Jew or Gentile, slave. Free. Those categories are by very nature destructive. They, they're by nature divisive. The enemy <laughs> needs division. The gospel necessarily unites. Because what does God want? What's he wanted all along? Every tribe, every nation, every people, every tongue, together. He wants his family, and he's going to get it. But the enemy is, is situated on division. And so this will keep coming up until new creation. This divisive ideology, it'll take a lot of different stripes, a lot of different colors, a lot of different names, but it will keep coming up to divide God's human family. I remember, I remember years ago, um, which I was so grateful for this, when I was, this is probably like 30 years ago, I was kind of nearing the end of my uh, <clears throat> uh, schooling in high school. I remember my, my mom and dad sent me for two weeks to this, um, uh, down to Manitou Springs to a uh, kind of a camp thing. It was called Summit Ministries. And it was a two-week worldview camp. And let me just say to you, if, if, if you're a parent or if you're a grandparent, do, sacrifice, do whatever it takes, send your kids or your grandkids to Summit Ministries. It is an absolutely essential part of them not being indoctrinated, especially if, if they're going to college. And it was a two-week worldviews camp. <clears throat> and there we studied things like, okay, we're going to look at Eastern pantheism and what's their views and all these different types. We're going to look at secular humanism and biblical theism and, you know, uh, again, worldview stuff. Well, I remember one of them was Marxist-Leninist worldview. Now, this is like 93, and I'm like, didn't the wall fall in like 89? Uh, USSR isn't even around anymore. Why are we studying ideas that are irrelevant? <laughs> Fast forward 30 years, there's this organization called BLM, and they have this philosophy page written out, and I remember going to it and reading, and as I'm reading it, I'm like, this is Marxist-Leninism. That's all this. It's, it, it's got a new title. It's got a new <clears throat> slogan. And, 
its Marxist-Leninist worldview. I thought, holy cow. And what I realized is ideas never die, they go underground. And this idea of the enemy, which at its core says we have to have division in order to have destruction. You guys, this is a gospel issue. It's a gospel issue because what does God want? He wants every tribe, every tongue, every nation. He wants his human family unified. Not uniformity, because it's every tribe, every nation, but unity. That's the mission of God. That's what he has in mind. And so here's the question. Do you and I have as our understanding, do you know what the, the most important thing about you is? Core thing about your identity? It's not, it's not, it's not what the CRT people say. <laughs> your, your, your gender or your you know, race or your skin or what. It's not the most important thing about you. The most important thing about you is this. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we... I'll make it a little more direct. You, here's the most important thing about you. You are the king's ambassador. That's it. That is the most important thing about you. You are Christ's ambassador as though God were making his appeal through us. Why is that? Because you're the vehicle. You're the vehicle of God's blessing. We implore you on the king's behalf. And what's, what's God imploring you? <laughs> reconciliation. That's God's goal. He wants reconciliation. Being brought back together. Jesus put it this way even more simply. If you remember in uh, John chapter 13, verse 35, he said, do you know what the telltale sign will be that like you're my student, you're my apprentice, by this, everyone will know you're my student. What? That you love one another. That's the telltale sign, is by how you love one another. That is the ultimate picture of what God is calling us to. Do you view yourself, your, 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 uh, What's the phrase we used? A, your primary identity, the main thing, the most important thing about you, do you view it as I'm Christ's ambassador? I don't know that I do all the time. I don't think I do, if I'm really honest. But that's what I'm calling to reorient myself to. Is that the most important thing about me is the role as an ambassador for the king, King Jesus to my world, to, to bring unity to God's human family and to really speak truth to lies, the lies which would attempt to divide, attempt to break up. And that's what Jesus is planting even in this story right here. He's bringing back what God originally wants, that we are to be a vehicle of blessing to God's world and that God wants his whole human family unified as one people group. That's the radical message of the gospel. You guys, there's no other message like the gospel, don't you see? 
Only the gospel has that power. Only the gospel has that ability to accomplish this. And only the message of the God, God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. That's the message that we're bringing to the world who is estranged from God, who doesn't know him, who walks about in darkness. God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. I want us to sing those words. <clears throat> I've heard a number of people kind of criticize this song that we're gonna sing because it speaks of God's love as reckless. Oh, God would never be reckless. Well, do you remember the story of the prodigal son? What does the father do to the son's request to have half of his stuff right now? He recklessly sells it and gives it to his son, right? He's reckless toward himself, not toward people. But that's the kind of love God has for us. And that's the message as ambassadors we're bringing to the world is God has not considered his own self something to be held back. Instead, as Paul says, Christ emptied himself kind of recklessly, <laughs> becoming a servant, taking on the form of a slave, dying for us, the ultimate death. Why is that? Because God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Would you please stand with me? I want to pray for us, and then I want us to remind ourselves of that message that we bring to our world. Heavenly Father, we, we remind ourselves of the most important thing about our identities, that we are your ambassadors to our world. God, thank you that, that you stepped over every boundary that threatens to divide your human family in your insistence and persistence your blessing back to this world and your presence into our lives. God, help us to, to faithfully carry the message to our world that you love us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving, for joining serving opportunities, and much more, visit TimberlineChurch.org connect. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.